A few weeks ago, one of my greatest fears as a pastor was realized. One of the members of our church, dear Miss Janice, came up to me and said, I heard you singing a solo last Sunday night. Eyes wide, mouth dropped. As far as I know, I have not sung any solo in church ever. Uh, those of you who know me well know that I can't sing. I can't carry a tune in a bucket. Well, we had a uh, Sunday night service, and the, the, the service is live-streamed for the whole world to watch. And Braden was leading music on the floor, and the mic was picking up his mic. And because Adam's booming baritone was not filling this pulpit mic, that all they heard was me singing behind them. A solo, as she said. Uh, I'm not sure if you realize how... Uh, gifted Adam is, because every time he sings, especially those a cappella, those parts, uh, he has to hear me in the background, off and F, off pitch, but singing loudly and with passion, because that is just how I do things. Um, singing is one of the ways we express joy. It's one of the ways we, ex- we rejoice in what God has done for us in Christ. You know, we sing at birthdays, we sing at weddings, uh, we, sw- we sing when our college football team scores, or when the greatest baseball team ever, the Chicago Cubs, win a home game in the friendly confines of Wrigley Field. On April 9th, 2003, thousands of Iraqi citizens filled the streets with song, rejoicing when they saw the statue of Saddam Hussein fall, ending the Battle of Baghdad. I remember watching the news in my in the comfort of my own apartment in Washington, D.C., amazed at the joy and the happiness of these people. Now, of course, I've never lived under a brutal dictator, and I really couldn't understand their, their joy. You know, Saddam Hussein repeatedly used his power, the power of the state, against his citizens. As we think about even last Week, this idea of the Antichrist and the, the, how, how the, the state often takes the form and, and works against uh, the people of God. Well, that's what Hussein did through his life. From February uh, to September of 1988, Saddam conducted what has been called a, a genocidal campaign against the Kurdish population, killing upwards of 180,000 people. An estimated 5,000 men, women, and children were killed in one day when he used mustard and, and nerve gas at an attack at, at Halabala. At the, at the end of Hussein's reign, they discovered 250 mass graves spread throughout the country of Iraq. His brutal reign would last 24 years. 24 years of oppression and death. So I was sitting in my comfort of my own home in Washington, D.C., and and seeing this celebration, I did not know the ultimate joy that they had, knowing that they were free from oppression, that they were liberated. The Iraqi prime minister said this on the day of Hussein's execution. He said, let the families of the Iraqi martyrs killed in mass graves, Anfal, Halabajah, and those executed in the cells of the dead regime be happy. The mothers, orphans, and widows should celebrate the death of the buried dictator. The reign of terror was over. 
now it was time to rejoice. You can only understand the, the joy that they had if you lived through that reign. If one understands the terror of that regime was overthrown, you can understand their joy. The level of their joy is linked to the level of their oppression. The more one is oppressed, the greater they express joy in their liberation. Well, friends, there is an evil regime still today. And I'm not talking about the ones that are uh, thriving throughout our world. I'm talking about the, the reign of the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, the, the roaring lion, the accuser of the brethren, the dragon who is actively oppressing and tormenting the saints of God. And we look today that one day that reign, his reign will end. And his reign ends. Will you sing? Will you join the chorus of saints who celebrated the exodus from oppression to the promised land? Really, I just have two questions for you today as we've looked at this text. The first is, can you sing? Can you sing? Now, I'm not referring to those who can actually sing, but we want to have this, this song of the Lord in our heart. And remember, John has is, is experienced the active oppression of this beast as he's in exile on the island of, of Patmos because of his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And while on the island, God gave him a vision for the church, not just the church of his day, but, but the church throughout the ages, our church included, that how we can have faith and perseverance in the midst of persecution and oppression. John saw two signs in Revelation 12, the sign of the woman and the sign of the dragon. And here there's another sign in heaven. So look at the text with me, Revelation chapter 15, verse 1. It says, Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and amazing, seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last, for with them the wrath of God is finished. Now, we don't normally associate great and amazing with the wrath of God. That's exactly what this text does. The seven angels are going to bring the seven bulls, and they're, they're going to pour out the wrath of God on the earth against sin and all those and everything that stands against God. So, now remember, if you're a saint, you're thinking like you were an Iraqi citizen, Right? Years of oppression and brutality are going to end. And the people of God will finally experience liberation. Oftentimes when we approach the wrath of God, we, we, don't, we look at the, the, the power and the ferocity of the wrath and rather the, the victory that we get to experience for those who know Christ. So John sees the church, those who conquer the beast through the blood of the Lamb, standing in the presence of the Lord in Revelation 15.2. It says, And I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire. And also those who had conquered the beast and its image and the number of its name, standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God in their hands. The saints were in God's presence experiencing His majesty. The sea of glass is also used in Revelation 4, referring to the throne room of God. This idea of, of majesty is there. I believe the 144,000 in Revelation 14 those that were redeemed from the earth and learned the new song of the Lamb, who, who followed him wherever he goes, I think that those are the same ones gathered around the throne here. I believe it is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ that will sing the song of the Exodus and the song of the Lamb. Look at Revelation 15, verse 3 and 4. It says, And they, those who are gathered around the Lamb, sing the song of Moses, 
the servant of God, and the son of the Lamb, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord, the God, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. You know, the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb are really the same. God's victory through his great and amazing deeds in the Exodus, freeing God's people from the oppression of Egypt and, and the, the brutal dictator of Pharaoh, was foreshadowing the great and amazing deeds of the second Exodus of the Lord Jesus Christ, finally freeing God's people from oppression of sin and death and the brutal reign of the devil. The God of the Old Testament and is the God of the New Testament. I sat down with a young man this week and reading through Scripture, I just asked the question, do you know the difference between the Old and the New Testament? And we, he, well, his response was not surprising. I just hadn't heard it in a while. Uh, he said, uh, God in the Old Testament was, was the God of wrath. And the God in the New Testament is a God of, of love. Now this idea has been around since the second century. A man named Marcion started to provoke that heresy in, in his day. And let's just be honest, it cannot be further from the truth. God is love. And God is wrath. You can't separate the two. We cannot divide his attributes. God was kind and gracious to Israel in giving them victory over Egypt through the visible manifestation of his power through the plagues. And guess what? He will do the same for the church. But while God is gracious and kind to the people, his wrath was extended against Egypt in the Old Testament. And it will be extended against those who stand with the beast in the new. Hear me. Salvation always comes with judgment. So when, when someone experiences salvation, somebody else experiences judgment. God saves one by judging another. So, can you sing the song of the Lamb? Can you rejoice in your salvation? That's what these saints were doing. Brian Chapel shares a story that happened in his own hometown. He says two brothers were playing on the sandbanks by the river. One ran after another up a large mound of sand. Unfortunately, the mound was not solid, and their weight caused them to sink in quickly. When the boys did not return home for dinner, the family and neighbors organized the search. They found the younger brother unconscious. His head and shoulders were standing above the, the sand. When they cleared the sand to his waist, he, he, he woke up, and the searchers asked him, Where is your brother? And the child replied, I'm standing on his shoulders. One is saved, one dies. Friend, the only way we can experience salvation is if we stand on our elder brothers, the Lord Jesus' shoulders. Hebrew 2 says that Jesus was not ashamed to be called our brothers. He took flesh and blood so that through his death he might destroy the one who has the power over death. That is the devil, and deliver all of us who have been subject to lifelong slavery. Jesus is our elder brother who died to deliver us from slavery to sin and death. Our salvation comes through his judgment. Can you sing of that salvation? Only if you can rejoice in the judgment of Christ on the cross. Jesus took 
the wrath of God for us in his death on the cross. Even when you see this text as it lays out, at the end of the, the judgment of God against the wrath of God, it says, it is done. After the Lord Jesus Christ absorbed the wrath of God on the cross, he said, it is finished. And after he took death, he gave up his spirit, was dead and buried, but God raised him from the dead. But he didn't just he raised him from the dead, sent him to heaven, and now he, he leads us on an exodus from this world to the promised land of glory. Second Peter chapter 3 Verse 9 and 10 says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but all should reach repentance. Now normally when we read that verse, that's the only verse that we read, right? That God is patient, God is slow, God desires all, or God is slow to keep his, not, not slow to keep his promises, but he desires all to come to repentance. But that's not the end of the section. The section keeps going on. It says, But the day of the Lord will be like a thief, and the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. See, God is showing you mercy today. God is showing you mercy by sharing through His Word that He offers salvation to you through His own judgment, through the judgment of His Son. He does not want you to perish, but wants you to stand on His shoulders and experience salvation. Salvation comes through judgment. Can you sing of this salvation? Can you sing the song of the Lamb? When Satan tempts you to despair and tells you of the guilt within, up Lord do you look and see him there who made an end to all your sin? Because the sinless Savior died, your sinful soul is counted free, for God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon you and me. Can we sing the song of the Lamb? Beloved, whenever we sing the song of the Lamb, whenever we sing of the Gospel, the sweetness of our salvation, we are also confessing the wrath of God against sin. So if I only talked about the Lord Jesus Christ, and only talked about the Gospel, and only talked about grace, every time I talk about grace, I'm also talking about judgment. Because you can't divide the two. The two are always connected. We sing... Because Jesus delivered us from the wrath to come. Amen. We also sing because Jesus will one day deliver us from this earth to heaven. And when we sing, we know that Jesus will one day come again in his wrath against the beast and its worshipers. We cannot have salvation without judgment. Salvation brings God's glory as it does bring his wrath. Look at Revelation 15.5 John writes, After this I looked, and the sanctuary of the tent of witnesses in heaven was opened. And out of the sanctuary came the seven angels with the seven plagues, clothed in pure, bright linen, with the golden sashes around their chests. And one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls, full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. And the sanctuary was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power, and no one could enter the sanctuary until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. The wrath of God shows the glory and the power of God. 
In the face of such power, the saints sing, Who will not fear, O Lord? Glorify and glorify your name. God's wrath is glorious and awesome. This is the whole, the whole point here, is that when we sing of God's great grace towards us, we also are singing that God will bring that wrath upon others. Now, if you're here today and you are not a Christian, please hear me right. I want you to sing the song of the Lamb. I want you to experience the exodus from our, our fallen bodies, our sin, and our, our, our coming death. I want you to experience the exodus from that to the promised land where we can experience God's pleasure forevermore at His right hand. That's my desire. But it only comes through the Lamb. It only comes submitting and understanding who He is and what He has done for us in His shed blood and His resurrection. So the first question is, can you sing? Second question, can you hide? Can you hide? Uh, many want to ignore the wrath of God. Uh, many preachers today don't want to, to preach on it. But, beloved, God's wrath is comprehensive. Look what Revelation 16.1 says. It says, Then I hear a loud voice from the temple telling the seven angels, Go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. Now, we've, also, we've already seen the seals being broken. Uh, we've seen the trumpets being resound. And we've seen in those situations a, a partial judgment, a third of the earth. What you see as we work through this text is you see a comprehensive totality of the wrath of God. He sends his angels to pour them out on the entire earth. The plagues God sent on one nation, Egypt, in the Old Testament, the first exodus, will, will now serve as a, as a sign. As a, as a pre, as a, as a, almost like a foreshadowing of what's going to come in the, in the second exodus. So as in the first exodus, each plague gave the, the people of Egypt an opportunity to repent, so it is here. Friends, no one can hide from the coming wrath. We may not want to talk about it, but it is coming. And I just want you, as we read this chapter, notice how comprehensive and total this judgment is. I'm not going to explain all the details here. What I want to do is I want to read it, make a few observations, and then we'll close. Look at verse 2. So the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth, and harmful and painful sores came upon the people who bore the mark of the beast and worshipped his image. The second angel poured out his bowl into the sea, and it became like the blood of corpse, and every living thing died that was in the sea. The third angel poured out his blood into the rivers and the springs of water, and they became blood. I heard the angel in charge of the waters say, Just are you, a holy one, who is and who was, for you brought these judgments. They have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. It is what they deserve. And I heard the altar saying, Yes, Lord God the Almighty, true and just are your judgments. The fourth angel poured out his bowl in the sun and was allowed to scorch people with fire. They were scorched by the fierce heat and they cursed the name of God who had power over these plagues. They did not repent and give him glory. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed their tongues in anguish and they cursed the God of heaven for their pain and sores. They did not repent of their deeds. 
The sixth angel poured out his bowl in the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up to prepare the way for kings from the east. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, out of the mouth of the false prophets, three unclean spirits like frogs. For they are demonic spirits performing signs to go abroad to the kings of the whole world to assemble for the battle of the great day of God the Almighty. Behold, I am becoming like a thief. Blessed the one who stays away, keeps his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. And they assembled him in the place of Hebrew that is called Armageddon. The seventh angel poured out his bowl on the, on the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne, saying, It is done. And there were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and a great earthquake, such as there had never been seen since man was on the earth. So great was that earthquake. The great city was split into three parts, and the cities of nations fell. And God remembered Babylon the great to make her drain the cup of the wine of the fury of his wrath. And every, every island fled away, and no mountains were to be found. And great hailstones, about 100 pounds each, fell from heaven on people. They crushed God. They cursed God for the plague of the hail, because the plague was so severe. Let me just make a few observations from this chapter. First, the bowls of the judgment are, are mirrors of the plagues in the Exodus. So the water is turned into blood. The painful sores of the people. The, the land is put into darkness. The, the unclean spirits, the unholy trinity, the, the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet send out false uh, unclean spirits like frogs. So just notice the, the comparison there. The Song of Moses, the Song of the Lamb. John is trying to key us in uh, what's, what, what to expect. Second, these bowls, as I said before, are comprehensive. Every living thing died in the sea. Every island fled away. No mountain was found. Every living creature and every non-believer on earth is affected. Revelation 15.1 says, The angels, the wrath of God is finished. In Revelation 16, 17, a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne saying, It is done. The totality of God's wrath is now unleashed. No more part, no more halfway, no more a third. The whole entire earth will feel the wrath of God. Can you hide? Can anybody hide from the wrath of God that is coming? Third, the coming wrath is meant to bring people to repentance. We even see that in in, in, the, in the fourth angel and the fifth angel. The fourth angel said they did not repent and give him glory. And the fifth angel, they did not repent of their deeds. When we experience discipline, chastisement, it is meant to bring us repentance. Those who were rightly experienced the consequence of their sin cursed the name of God. They cursed the God of heaven for their consequences, for their sores and pain. God offered deliverance. God offered salvation through His Son. But they rejected His grace. Do we view discipline as a grace? Do we view chastisement as, a, as another reason to curse God for our circumstances or run to God to experience deliverance? I think fourth, I think is especially important for our day, God's judgments are just. They're just. There have been many people who have been wrongly convicted and sent to jail. 
There have been some people who have been wrongly accused and have faced capital punishment for a crime they did not commit. But the angel here speaks of the Lord's judgment. It says, Just are you, O Holy One, who is and who was, for you brought these judgments. For they have shed the blood of the saints and the prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. It is what they deserve. Know this. There will be no person in hell that does not deserve to be there. Our human governments, our human judicial system will always have mistakes. But in God's justice, there is no mistakes. What he does, how he executes his justice, will always be perfect. And we even see that the the saints agree with him. Those who are at the altar, remember back to the, the seals, those who those who have been slain for their faith call out to God for, for justice. And here they're agreeing that justice is, is finally happening. Yes, Lord God, the Almighty, just and true are your judgments. We submit to God's perfect and righteous judgments. We may not understand all the details. We may question sometimes why and why God does or why God allows what He what He does. But his wisdom is perfect. His justice is always the same. Fifth, right there in the middle of this outpouring of these, these bowls, the saints are encouraged to stand fast and persevere. It's hard to find a single chapter in Revelation that does not have an inherent call to the saints to, to persevere. Look at verse 15 of chapter 16 says, Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go out about naked and be seen exposed. This is a common imagery in in the New Testament, that a thief can come in the middle of the night. The day of the Lord will come like a thief. Be vigilant. Be steadfast. Hold fast to Christ. The Lord may return at any moment. Live each day as if it was your last, because you are not guaranteed tomorrow. This past week... Several different situations that I've heard about. And I, 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 just, I think it's hit me in maybe four or five different angles of the fragility of life. Life is going to mist, y'all. It's a vapor. It's here one minute and gone the next. And so many of us live as if the, the end is not coming. But let this chapter awake us. The day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Stay Awake, stay vigilant, hold fast to Christ, press on to the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. You know, I've been thinking about my my kids a lot lately, you know, and you know, sometimes you have those moments when you're you're kind of kind of aware of how short you have with your kids. Many of you who are older know that it goes like this. You know, you remember when they were so young. You know, if, if 18 is that magic number where kids leave the house, well, we've already met the, we're past the halfway point of two of our three. Life is just so short. Let us, let us take advantage of our days. Let us live with no regrets. Let us not waste our strength on lesser pursuits. Let us give ourselves to the cause of Christ. And can you hide from his wrath? I mean, his wrath is total. These, these angels are going to pour out the wrath upon 
the earth. Augustus Toplady was a Methodist believer. He became convinced later in his life of Reformed doctrine, and uh, he wrote many hymns. But one of his hymns has stood the test of time. He has been told that there was this, his inspiration came when he was in uh, North Somerset, England. And, uh, and one of those storms, one of those crazy storms kind of came uh, um, upon him. And he sought refuge in uh, the Burlington Cone Gorge. And, and if you go to that gorge in Somerset, England, there's still a plaque that is, stands today. It's a top it was, was hid from the rock of the storm, which inspired this hymn. Rock of ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood from my wounded side which flowed be of sin the double cure. Save from wrath and make me pure. Not the labors of my hands can fulfill thy laws, commands. Could my zeal no respite know? Could my tears forever flow? All for sin could not atone. Thou must save, and thou alone. Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. Naked, come to thee for dress. Helpless, look to thee for grace. Foul, I to the mountain fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. And while I draw this fleeting breath, when my eyes shall close in death, when I soar to worlds unknown, see thee on thy judgment throne, rock of ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. Friend, our only hope in the storm of God's wrath is to hide ourselves in him, to seek the Lord as our Refuge. It will come, and we must be ready. Can you sing? Only in the Lamb. Can you hide? Only in the Lamb. Beloved, salvation always comes through judgment. We will be saved if we sing of and we hide in the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we can sing in the Lamb who was slain. We thank you that we can hide in the Lamb, that our souls are now hid behind Christ, behind his cross. God, we thank you that he has taken our judgments as believers. I pray if there's anyone here today that does not know you, Lord, that you would help them sing the song of the Lamb experience the, the exodus from their sin and their shame and their guilt and their, and their coming death and experience the glory of, of, of heaven. And God, I pray that they would also seek refuge in you, that they would hide themselves in you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.